and welcome back to It's New Orleans Happy Hour, live from the Columns Hotel at 3811 St. Charles Avenue in Uptown New Orleans, another beautiful day in New Orleans. I'm Grant Morris, and I'm joined today by three, no, four, four fascinating New Orleanians who are sitting with me here at the Columns Hotel, which is... 3811 St. Charles Avenue, just for your information. A great place to come and have a cocktail if you're already in New Orleans, and an even greater place to come and stay if you want to come and join us here. My guests today are Press Kabakoff, who's probably one of the most famous people in New Orleans. Would you agree with that, Press? Yes, I've gotten a lot of publicity. You have over the years. And here's the reason why, because you've built, since 1982, 4,496 apartments, 3,487 hotel rooms... 500,000 square feet of office and retail space for a total funding value of $1.4 billion. Is that accurate? Yes, that's part of what I've been up to, sure. <laughs> that's taken a little bit of time between 1989 and today, but not everything. Well, we, we uh, uh, at our company, uh, HRI, which I'm CEO, and we have 700 people, so I'm the face You have 700 people in your company? We do. And... Uh, we uh, uh, do inner city work, and it's penetrate neighborhoods uh, throughout the old traditional parts of the city, and that always engenders a lot of excitement, uh, which is well covered by the media. So it's uh, we're 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 a high profile developer in that sense. Uh, I don't know we whether we do any more work than than large development companies around the country. Well, you are pretty large. You've got 700 employees and you've built over uh, 7 million hotel rooms and apartments and spent $1.4 billion. I would say that makes you... But that's not what's interesting about us. No, we'll get onto that. We've got plenty of time for that. Also, our guest today, Sally Ann Glassman, who is a voodoo priestess. That's right. Is that an accurate description of what you do for a living? Um... I, I certainly do that in addition to other things. Being a voodoo priestess is pretty all-encompassing, but I am initiated in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, and I am a priestess. I'm also an artist and a writer, and, and together with Press, we've been building a massive healing center for New Orleans. And you and, you and Press are engaged to be married? Yes, we are. So that's a, a love story that we're going to get to <laughs> in the course of the next hour. The voodoo priestess and the property developer. Interesting. It's, a, it's an unlikely couple Some on the face of it. <laughs> when you say voodoo priestess and property developer, that sounds like an unlikely couple. I thought she was a Jew from Maine. <laughs> well, you are that too, probably, right? We're many things, many hats. Okay. Unusual as well. We're, gonna get We're to also a, unusual. You're, you're both unusual or just you or just as a couple? We're unusual. each unusual, and as a couple, I imagine people would say we were unusual. Well, I think that we're both very engaged in in uh, civic and other affairs and, and uh, <coughs> our interests cross over and, and so it's been very positive. We're going to get on to all that in the course of the next hour and if you're talking about unusual couples, here's another unusual couple for New Orleans, Ted Joyner and Grant Whitman. Now you guys aren't actually a couple or are you? In the strict <laughs> In the musical sense, sense yes. In the musical yeah, sense you're a couple but you're not a couple off stage. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Right. So, the, And the reason that you're an unusual couple, the two of you, is that you have a, a band called The Generationals. So far, nothing too unusual about that. What's most unusual about it is, first of all, the, not, the, the incredible success you guys have had in such a short time, since 2008. 
you've had music in movies, you've had music on TV, you've had music in commercials, you've had a huge amount of success. And what's fascinating about this band, The Generationals, is that you don't sound like you come from New Orleans. Yeah, well, not, yeah, not specifically. Or, or maybe not what people would expect. I don't think anybody expects the property developer and the voodoo priestess to be a couple any more than they would expect this sound to come out of New Orleans. Let's take a listen to the generationals. When they fight, they fight. album called Con Law, When They Fight, They Fight. When did you come up with that song? 
Did you write it ages ago, or was it relatively soon after you met? Um, well, we met ages ago, but uh, it was written maybe uh, a year-ish before it was recorded. It was recorded in summer of 08. So, but it was kind of, you know, just noodling around with it for a while. And Had you played it on previous bands that you'd been in together, the no. Eames? No, no, we hadn't. That was probably one of the first songs that we wrote for this new band that we made in 2008. So, one of the prototypes. Did you, when you wrote it, did you think we've just written a hit song? Yeah. <laughs> we say that every day, though, so. <laughs> we say it with every song. Yeah. Does every song really feel like a hit when you finish it? You think this is awesome? Uh, yeah. I think maybe that's like our, we, we don't, we don't, I don't think let ourselves lay it down unless we feel on some level it could be a huge hit. <laughs> really? That's the, yeah. that's the MO? Yeah, we don't really, because I think we'll get bored with things that if we don't feel really energized about it, that it's good or yeah. excellent or, you know, one of the better things we've done. So, yeah, we don't finish things that we don't think could be. <laughs> yeah, and then it's up to the world to decide whether it's a hit. I mean, that's out of our hands. But. What did the world decide? <clears throat> it was yeah, the results are in. It was a huge. It's hit. a hit. Yeah. <laughs> really? It's just come out in a movie called Hall Pass. You know that movie was uh, who was in Hall Pass? Oh. Uh, what was that guy's what name? Was the guy like uh, the Farrelly brothers? Uh, Owen Wilson. Farrelly brothers. Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Yeah. Uh, was Jason Sudeikis? In Jason Sudeikis. Yeah. I still haven't seen it, but have you seen it? No. Neither of you, Grant. Neither of you saw it. It just came out, and we've been really busy. Did you, you get your check? Uh. I think it's in the mail. Check some mail. <laughs> yeah, what sort okay. of management do you guys have that, that pulls this sort of thing off for you? Uh, we don't have management per se, but we have like a lot of uh, we have like a uh, you know a lot of friends and cohorts and people who have collaborated with us and worked with us for a while now because we we were in a band before this one. So what was that called? That was the, the Eames, Eames era. Yeah, the Eames era. Yeah, right. That was a, by the a, by, uh, inspired by the designer. Yeah. Eames and this band was just inspired by Barack Obama I believe that's right <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how did you meet Obama in the first place well we went to the White House and uh, no we, we've never met Obama I don't know where that came from <laughs> no I just made that up uh, but uh, that said um, it, it says on your bio that you were inspired by watching the 2008 presidential election to call the band the Generationals because there were so many issues that were coming to the fore that were generational right so I thought maybe you were political guys but I'm sure you're not really no you? not really we just uh, it was just you're not designers either no. Well, the Ames Ted, Ted's trained as an architect. What's architect? Oh, you are school, trained yeah. as an architect. Yeah. And you gave it all up to be a superstar. I did. <laughs> what made e you do that? The easy trade-off. It took no. It didn't. Uh, it was the easiest decision I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you go to all that trouble to be an architect? I don't know. I ask myself that every day. <laughs> uh, what about you, Grant? What did you do before you became a pop star? I went to school um, and studied journalism. Well, that's at least a total waste of time. Yeah, exactly. So that was yeah. a, that was a really easy call too. So yeah, well, there's nothing to give up in that case, right? That's right. Exactly. But you're giving up a career as an architect and supposedly quite a lot of school fees that somebody must have paid. No, um, I went to LSU, <laughs> so it was mostly for free. A lot of it. Really? So you get to uh, be an architect for nothing? Uh, yeah. No, I I chose not to be an architect for nothing. No, but <laughs> <laughs> who's your favorite architect? Um, I don't know. I don't. I. I don't care as much anymore because I went to school and I was really passionate about it and then I worked for a firm for a little while. I remember really liking like Rem Koolhaas and the more uh, kind of weirdo European guys. But you spend a lot of time working with Architects Press? Oh, we have an architectural company. Uh, right. 
uh, as part of it's your a large division of our of our development company because we do historic buildings and teaching new architectural firms how to do those. We found it was better just to have it in house. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'm fascinated with architecture and and and. Uh, really appreciate the great architects of the world so that's are, why I asked who are your favorite architect uh, the uh, I was uh, Louis Kahn uh, just fabulous and what a what a character he was he was just totally in, totally in space I think he had three families at the same time yeah would sleep at the office and uh, just uh, he, he had a ended up sleeping in the street at the end. He ran out of money, but he had he. I think he had a direct connection to the to the deity who told him how to do it. So he was one of my favorites. Where was he? Uh, he he lived in Philadelphia. He did a marvelous building. He did the Salk Institute on the West Coast, and then and then uh, a magnificent building in Bangladesh. But uh, anyway, I don't want to get carried away with that. Well, but, but he I like did, architecture. He, he died penniless. This guy. Yeah, he, he died, died penniless, and he was uh, died in the in the Grand Central Station in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I think I don't think anyone claimed his body for like a couple yeah, of days. Right, he was. That's destitute. a sad story. Yeah. Was he one of your heroes? Uh, no, but I did see that movie about him. That was yeah. that was interesting. Well, he was an artist. Well, father of the artist. In other words, he he was a true artist, and and they don't pay attention to the mundane things. Yeah, you have, you have to pay attention to keep your bank checkbook balance and that sort of stuff. So, so thank God you gave all that up. Because that would have been horrible. I want to put a good work for architects. Good work, good word in for architects because I think it's a good profession. So it's a hell of a profession because you have to be creative and mathematical and scientific, and it's like it's a great gig, isn't it? What do you think? Except uh, unless you could be a pop star, maybe. Yeah. No, I I don't mean to trash architects just across the board, but uh, but for you, this really worked. Yeah, you know, this is cool. Well, when architects you, are great. I have a lot of friends with a lot of architects. When did you figure out? When did you figure What's out? What's your problem with architects? Wow. Come on here, just trashing people. When did you figure out you could write a song? Uh, Grant and I started playing guitar together, uh, like you know, like in high school, or you know, early high school. What high school was this? Jesuit high, high school yeah, in New Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah. So Bank, you're New Bank Orleans Street. boys, yeah, and you're right. from New Orleans Press, right? Sure. Am. What high school did you go? To? President of our company, uh, uh, Tom Leonard, went to uh, Jesuit. Uh-huh. Do you know him? Uh, no. Do you guys get invited back to any sort of alumni association events or? We just had a we had a ten year reunion last summer that we went to. Anybody remember you? The, uh, yeah, a few people did. One of the there's a a teacher there who uh, organizes the brown bag concerts. They have bands come and play at lunch. He invited us to come play, but we haven't made it down there yet. Are you too high and mighty now to go back? To yeah, Missouri? exactly. You know, okay. we can't be. Can no, be I, slumming it down there on Carrollton Avenue. We'll go one day. I think we just have to find time to go down there. Well, Jesuit's a fine school. It oh, produced a lot of talented people. Yeah. yeah, they must do a good job. It's Who that, else that has come idea. out of Jesuit that we know? These guys with these two, Mac Rabinac, Doctor John. I think he might have gotten thrown out. There. He, did, he did not graduate, but uh, he did. <laughs> he did go to school there. That's um, pretty impressive. I'm older. Pat Screen yeah. was the guy I remember. So. Yeah, Her- Harry Connick Jr. Right. also went. And, uh, wow. Jesuit rocks. Right? Jay, yeah. uh, Jay, uh, Jay Thomas. Jay Thomas, Jay, actor. Jay Thomas. He was also a radio guy, I think. Yeah. On, uh, on the radio in Los Angeles. That's right. Yeah, he's a great guy. An actor. He's from, he was from Jesuit as well. Sally, yeah. where did you go to school? Well, we're on high schools. I went to Hamden High School in Connecticut, although I'm not from Connecticut. I'm from Maine. You are a Jew from Maine. 
I'm just a like Jew from Maine. I'm, first I'm the other Jew from Maine. There's one other there. <laughs> <laughs> is the other person? But still, I got out. Is the other Jew still there, or did he or she leave too? Actually, I have cousins and sisters, so there's, so there's at least few. there's at least four of them there. And do you get back there much, or do they have to come here? <laughs> I don't get back there much. Not enough. It's a beautiful state. Well, being a voodoo priestess is unusual enough in, in, here in New Orleans. I would think in, in Maine it must be extremely bizarre. <laughs> well, there's a lot of bizarre people in Maine, and I'm one of them. They're not all voodoo priestesses, but they've all got their own thing that's unusual and eccentric. There's, there's a, a standard of eccentricity there, I think. So you're accepted when you go home. It's not weird the voodoo priestess is back. My cousin, the voodoo priestess, is here. I, I it's not don't a... necessarily bring it up in social situations. <laughs> but... Don't people say, what do you do once in a while? Or what are you doing down there in New Orleans? Well, somehow everyone picks up on it. I used to be called the mystic wonder, and, and uh, we just didn't give it a, a specific title beyond that. But uh, How did you get from being growing up in Maine as a, probably what was a relatively normal person at Hamden High School to being a voodoo priestess? I think it was Ridlin. <laughs> it was the drugs that did it? Uh, did you take Ridlin as a kid, which allowed well, you to actually see through things? I didn't take it. The rumor has it that I was uh, given Ritalin intravenously when I was an infant. (laughs) Wow. When you say rumor, are there any sort of medical records on that? Because that's... It's it's a long, sad story, but apparently there was a a best friend of of my parents who was a pediatrician, and and they weren't aware this was happening and caught it in action. And uh, all they knew was that he had a very calming effect upon me. Apparently I wasn't the most relaxed infant (laughs) ever. But this is long before Ritalin was used for general general purpose use like it is your now. point how old do you think i <laughs> no, am i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to suggest that you're you know any older than 25 or 26 or something but but this was long before riddle was, was used in long general before purpose. but that that's what my mother told me and i'm not one to counter her <laughs> uh, worth the benefits truth. of it that it allowed you to see things in different ways or do you don't think that had anything to do with it well, I can't draw a straight line. I have no sense of direction or time. Those are problematic. But uh, <clears throat> if yeah. your theory is correct, it, it um, has helped me to see the invisible. However, in my family, there's always been, in every generation, there's been a seer in the family. In fact, I had a great aunt who uh, came to the U.S. from the Ukraine, and her profession was a seer. And when she got here, she had to discontinue her profession before being placed in the loony bin. <laughs> so. Wow. so she was an immigrant from the Ukraine and back in, I guess, the turn of the last century or something. Right. Well, the beginning of, beginning of the last century. Mm-hmm. And what sort of seer would that be of being in the Ukraine in those days? What did they do? Did they? Oh, that's where shamanism comes from, is the Ukraine. Is the it? term shamanism And what comes would a seer do back then? What would you go to her... You go to a seer for a fortune, to what we call see, fortune teller or something? See, maybe fortune telling, but to see the inner meaning of events and, and where they're leading and what's going on and what's the deeper purpose and direction of it. And that's what voodoo does, that's what you are doing? Uh, voodoo recognizes an invisible world right where we are now and, and um, there's a, an invisible world inside the visible world that's more beautiful, more vast, more full of potential and right. power and um, reaches into that invisible world and draws it through into our everyday experience. And can you see the invisible world that we can I see? actually can. <laughs> okay, now we're really I getting into, <laughs> into a scary moment. 
What, what are there you may s- just be something wrong with my eyes. We don't know. Well, maybe it may be the Ritalin. Could if be the it Ritalin. is, I'm, I'm taking it. But, uh-huh. <laughs> but what, what do you see here that we don't see? I don't see things the way most people do. We're talking about unusual. Um, most people see things as solid, and um, there's material world, and that's what they see. And to yeah. me, that looks like the surface of things and doesn't look very solid. It looks filmy and looks like it's surrounded by energy and contained with energy. The, the theories that you hear about in quantum physics is how I see so, so you, I'm seeing so particles heard, in space and movement and energy. If you look at a Van Gogh painting, that's how I see. So you're looking at, at what we're looking at here as a tablecloth and microphones and a glasses and people sitting around, and, and you're not seeing them as solid. I'm not seeing them as solid. And I was a bartender forever. And, um, I, that might have something to do with it. Yeah, well, I don't drink, so we don't have that excuse. <laughs> okay. But um, I would see spirits at the bar no that pun, looked, no, no pun intended I right assume. that looked as solid and real as anybody else so well, I would go to serve them and so it wasn't until I put their napkin down and asked them what they wanted that I realized they weren't actually physical okay that's, <laughs> that's an interesting it's interesting interesting job yeah. so I think in part though the, the voodoo religion religion is, is demonized by mm-hmm. Hollywood I mean I'm I'm a uh, an atheist trying to become an agnostic, and uh, so I'm not the biggest proponent of, of, of religion. But the uh, do you believe in uh, voodoo? Uh, uh, not particularly. I, I, don't, I don't particularly have a strong feeling about any particular story. But what I do know about voodoo is that it's very similar to Catholicism and other religions that have spirits and, and saints and right. and, and well, there's, all a, there's a god are, and, all and, religions and, are similar, right? I just think they've had a lot of fun with this one in the movies, which gives Sally a great challenge. Well, is there such a thing as a voodoo doll that you can put pins in? Not actually. There's not no, in voodoo there practice. There's not in real voodoo. No, you might see a doll on an altar, but it represents <clears throat> one of the spirits, just like a, a statue of a saint would represent a saint. You wouldn't stick a pin in it. There's theory that um, people's image of voodoo dolls is based on Nikisi or Puiti fetish dolls in Africa that would have herbs nailed into them to activate them that were used for healing and uh, positive empowerment. But, but, but in voodoo, voodoo doll, no such thing. doesn't exist. You wouldn't see a doll with a pin in it in Haiti. Okay. So that whole thing is totally bunk. What about, putting, what about putting curses on people? Voodoo is a religion, and, and there is a lot that seems magical to people. It has nothing to do with curses. None of the so stuff that you've ever well. seen. So none yeah. of the stuff that we think about voodoo, Marie Laveau, and all this sort of stuff in New Orleans... Well, Marie Laveau was an actual person. She wasn't very creepy. She she was a, a nurse that helped heal yellow fever victims. She had a, a practice of going into the jails and and doing spiritual service for people on death row. She wasn't so, so voodoo, she wasn't very monstrous. So voodoo is good, not satanic. It's, it's very good. It's it has about nothing to do with healing. evil whatsoever. It's about no. It doesn't. Right. Okay. So that's a complete and in fact, fiction. Totally. Yeah, voodoo doesn't even recognize. Um, the alternatives or the dichotomy of good versus evil. Everything is sacred and everything's part of God's energy and some things are turbulent and some things are beneficent, but they're all sacred. It's dangerous to be in the voodoo business, though, because many religions uh, make it actually against the law. And so voodoo, as I understand it, would pick up traditions of other religions so that they wouldn't look so different. 
Well, that was a consequence of it, but voodoo is African-based, based in African traditions, which assembles rather than um, rejects things. So it does take up traits of different cultures it encounters. It's kind of a gumbo religion, but in Haiti as well as in Louisiana Colony, the African slaves that were brought to this country and, and uh, encountered Native Americans and their practices. They encountered European Catholics and picked up some of their traditions. And there were Masons practicing um, spiritualism and even Jewish mysticism. And so all of these things got incorporated into that's the, that's the gumbo. Into this so this is what you spend your religion. whole day doing, thinking about enmeshed and, and things don't look real and you're looking at at surfaces that are porous and you can see through them. And press, you spend all day building buildings. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I spent part of it with Sally because we're building a building together. Uh, we, we decided after the storm that we both ought to make a contribution like lots of people in the city did. And, and uh, how Sally wanted to provide healing services for people that were struggling and, and I wanted to uh, see an area of the city revitalized. So we, we took the... Uh, Rampart St. Rock Corridor, which is a three and a half mile stretch bounded by French Quarter, Bywater, and Marigny, and a number of neighborhoods on the on the lakeside, which was once uh, a thriving neighborhood when they had Marlon Brando's streetcar named Desire back there and all of that business. And we have spent a lot of time on the uptown where you are now, uh, along the magazine and St. Charles Corridor. So we concentrated how could we revitalize the. Uh, Rampart St. Claude Corridor. Are you talking as a property person here, a person who can revitalize buildings to get people to live there? And you're talking about a healing center? And you were talking about well, that individually? And then give, you Give me a other? second and you're going to understand. Okay. The, the, uh, 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 and so the way to revitalize a section of town is to create a community center, something that's very visible for people that drive by to give it a sign of health. And then another way is to bring the streetcar back and then fix some of the blighted housing. And we're doing all of those. Yeah, but what I'm, my question was, are you doing this together at the time, at this early point, in the early stages? We, we, we took our two ideas, healing center and building revitalization, and put them together. And uh, we will open in May a 60,000-square-foot, $12 million, 18-tenant uh, uh, healing center with, with, with yoga and a 1,000-person uh, uh, own grocery store, a major uh, Tipitinas like uh, nightclub, arts and crafts center, street university, organic gardens, place for women therapy and, let me, and spiritual let me, center. Let me ask you something, Chris. Would you, ha- I mean, as a property person who's, I mean, you've built all these other buildings all around the, the country, right. and especially in New Orleans, right. would you have come up with this particular idea if you hadn't met Sally? No. So, uh, so that's an incredible I would have come up connection. with the wrong idea. Well, I would have done a more traditional uh, retail center, and it probably would have fallen on its face. So instead, we worked very uh, diligently with the ideas that Sally had of how to combine some unusual features. And is there a commercial and success built into this it's thing? A, it's a for-profit business. Right. Uh, uh, so you wouldn't have invested twelve million bucks in a healing center unless you had fallen in love with the voodoo priestess. Well, I use my mechanism of, of, of public-private partnership, which is bringing in uh, public dollars, which are usually brought in when a project is designed to be stimulative of an entire area. Government doesn't get right. involved in real estate just to get involved in real estate. It's if you're going to change an area. So they participated for five, and then we brought in 
another seven million dollars through federal statutory tax advantages. Right. And uh, we're building it out, and I donated my development fees, so I'm not looking to uh, make any money on it. Although you have to keep it as a profit motive in order to use those incentives. At the end of the day, uh, any extra money we have will probably go into a nonprofit that will help uh, the poor in the area. And it's interesting because you have middle income, artistic, eclectic on the riverside, Bywater, Marigny, and French Quarter. And on the lakeside, you have Riverville Project, Treme, St. Claude, and St. Rock, which are largely African American and desperately poor and damaged by the storm. The storm stopped at, at St. Claude by the waters. And we're trying to serve both markets. And so we're developing through a nonprofit a fund to help the poor actually use. If we have a masseuse and the masseuse charges $60, we'll have a voucher to help someone enjoy that that can't afford it. So and how would you qualify for, for a voucher to get a massage? You, you would have to demonstrate that uh, you really couldn't afford it. Okay. There, there are ways to do that. Okay. And you've got this, it's, it's coming, it's really happening, this thing. Opens in May. It's, it's really happening. The, can you believe this, Sally? I'm, I'm having a hard time believing it. It's, you know, wrapping my, ha- my head around it, and so are a lot of people. But we just had a, another open house last night, and packed with people, all delighted to be there. It's wonderful to see Boy, living love beings love running is an amazing, the building. is an amazing power. Well, and, and one of our main goals is to bring together polarized communities and... and um, when people scoff at that and think it can't be done, I just point to me and press. <laughs> We're also taking advantage of a very cool part of town. Yeah. Uh, the, the downtown area, uh, great cities of, of, of the world. Go to New York, you go to Soho, Tribeca, Chinatown. Each one of those neighborhoods has its own fascination. And one of the ways New Orleans has survived, we could have been a Detroit or a Gary or a Newark, except we had these wonderful culturally rich historic neighborhoods and so if we can add to those inventories of healthy neighborhoods in our city that is our economic development we're not really a microchip capital we're certainly music and but we've not made music a business uh, like other cities have other cities nashville uh, memphis to some extent have done a much better job taking the t- talent which is inferior to what we have here in making the music industry. Well let's talk about the music business then. That's a good that's a very good point. Because we don't we don't have a leading impresario person like you. I mean you're a leading light in the property development business. You think there'd be a music business person living in New Orleans with all the talent that there is here to to marshal to sell, wouldn't you think you guys? I think there are probably a lot of people here who would say, I I am that person. I don't know who it is. I mean I guess we don't like you said earlier, like the kind of music that we play isn't isn't his traditional New Orleans music. So. But you are from New Orleans. You grew up in New Orleans. You live in New Orleans, right? Along with many, many hundreds of other supremely talented musicians, right? You'd think that somebody would grow up with you who was a business person. I don't know that there isn't one. I'm, I'm like I said. Well, how do you get your stuff? I mean, how do you get out of New Orleans and get your stuff in a movie and on TV and in, on Grey's Anatomy? I mean, you guys are a success story. You're, you're in, your music's in commercials. Isn't a Reese's peanut butter thing? <laughs> Is that <coughs> that's true? That's true. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, I think our, our, one of the things about what we've done, and we've been doing this for, um, I don't know, almost 10 years. Like, We just wanted to get out of town. And I think that the thing about a lot of people that play music in New Orleans is that when you play in a brass band or if you play... 
you're a jazz drummer or something like that, you can play like multiple gigs in a week in, in, in New Orleans at three or four different clubs or with various different bands and make a living playing only in New Orleans. Whereas... But barely, right? Right. Not like a comfortable living, right. but you can barely. make... You know, I think there are, there are musicians in New Orleans who, who live and, and, and don't have to travel very much because there's a lot of gigs to play here in town. Yeah. Whereas the kind of music and the kind of bands that we've been in have sort of asked us to take our show elsewhere. So, you mean you mean New Orleans just doesn't support a, a pop band? Like, what about Better Than Ezra? No, sure, but you can't. But it, again, that's something that can happen like once every few months and you can sell out a couple of nights at Tipitina's. Not us, but Better Than Ezra. But you can't do it better than Ezra's show every night of the week yeah. and expect... But do you think, as I listen to your music, uh, you're right, it's not really the traditional New Orleans sound, right. but you all grew up here, right. and you must have studied and learned here. You couldn't avoid that. It must have had an impact on what you what you produce, or you don't think so? Oh, I or, think it, it, it absolutely did. Um, Ted and I actually, uh, when we were in high school, we were... We, a buddy of ours is uh, is Ian Neville, whose dad is Art Neville, the famous piano player, who's was called the organ player from the Meters. And anyway, we spent a lot of time in high school going to see shows that the Funky Meters played, and um, definitely absorbed a lot of that music and spent a lot of time learning how to play those songs and stuff like that. But but um, eventually, sort of when when it became time for us to write our own songs, that we went in a different direction. Um, Who influenced you? I think the Beatles were the band that we initially started mm-hmm. to become. Uh, mm-hmm. We would were the ones that we learned how to play their songs and built from there on. You know, and well, if you're trying to be commercially successful, I guess the Beatles is a good is a good model. But didn't the Beatles and the Rolling Stones pick up some from uh, New Orleans type? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Wasn't there a relationship there? Yeah, actually, John yeah. Lennon, the first song he ever learned on guitar was a Fats Domino song, Ain't That a Shame. Right. Wow. So there is some connection and, and between New Orleans and the wasn't, there wasn't Facebook or I Like or Rhapsody, <laughs> so to get copies of that music was really something. It was a treasure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's, yeah. let's take a listen to another song from the Generationals. Let's listen to something off the new album. The new album is called Actor Caster. Correct. What the heck does that mean, actually? Oh, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, well, we can leave that alone. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, uh, what song are we listening to? Uh, the first track is called 10 20 10. Depends. 
Is that uh, <laughs> in there somewhere? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, One ZZ Top. And, uh, and then I can certainly hear the Beatles. What, what are the instruments? Uh, those, uh, that's a guitar jam. I think it's all guitar, bass guitar. Both two guitars? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, drums and vocals. Is there any electric stuff in it? There, there is. That, that's actually an electronic drum sound <laughs> going on mm-hmm. drum machine. So. And there's just the two of you doing all that. Right. We also we have an engineer producer engineer that we work with when we record who, it's like the fifth Beatle kind of guy exactly like a like a george he's actually he's he learned like he, he learned a lot from uh reading about how george martin would record the beatles so a lot of the sounds that textures of the sounds that we go for are stolen from abbey road and where is he is that in new orleans too he's actually in washington dc so you record the stuff in dc right how did you meet this guy? Who he's, is he? He's he's Louisiana born actually. He mm-hmm. he uh, grew up in Baton Rouge, but um, he this went guy to named s- Daniel Black. Yeah. Da- did Dan- you do Dan you know him from when he was here? Were you kids together? We kind of knew him through people. He's a couple years older than us, but uh, we knew him from because Grant and I lived in Baton Rouge for a while, and he was in this other band called uh, Dan. Dan was uh, Orange's band that we were uh, big fans of, and uh, we kind of hooked up with him via that because we both went to LSU in Baton Rouge. Right. How but, uh, has your uh, life changed since you've gotten some recognition for your for your work? In any way, uh, you, know, guess, you just keep playing all day guess, and working. Yeah, most specifically, uh, I think we are just able to uh, devote all of our time to the band and writing and playing and uh, 
when the band when the band can become like your full time job, that's sort of been the dream, which uh, we've kind of arrived at at least for a little while. Yeah, I'm, my knees are kind of bent. I don't know if we're gonna how long we'll be full time pros, but yeah, there's always just a proportion of how much of your time you can. But basically, it sounds like this is. I mean, this music is great. It's r- radio friendly. It's upbeat. It's pop music. All it takes is to get it out into the world, which is, sounds like you've got that figured out. Well, now that we're on It's Nola, I don't see... Yeah, uh, it's New Orleans. It is, it's New Orleans. Yeah, that's right. So Sorry. Try and get that right. Yeah, I, I think but, BBC is next. And then. <laughs> but no, seriously, though, all you have to do is get it out there. Right? I mean, and you have that figured out. You have management and you... Right. You know, I mean, you're getting stuff in commercials, you're getting stuff on TV, you're getting stuff in the movies. Yeah. Is it on the radio? Uh, well, it's not, it's not on commercial radio. It's on college radio, but you'd be uh, surprised how, many, how few people listen to college radio. I mean, it's compared to, I think, what it used to be like. So you, but, um, so you guys... You know, there's, like, internet radio stuff that plays us sometimes. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think in a lot of ways we're doing okay, but we, we just... Everybody, like anybody, want to have, you know, have a bigger impact, sell more records and tickets to see us and stuff, so... So do you have to get out of here? Do you have to go on the road? Of course, yeah, absolutely. And for us, for what we're doing, we do, yeah. And do you have a band with you, not just the, you two guys right, and the fifth we, Beatle guy? Right, we tour with five, but Ted and I are the only two who have been at every, you know, we're, we're the only two that have to be at all. So, so, you, <laughs> so you hire three sidemen to go with you? Right, exactly. So, you, so you're paying guys to play with you? Right. It's pretty serious business. Do you have a bus? We don't. We have a van. We don't. Oh, we yeah. haven't worked our way up to the bus yet. Okay. And I don't. I don't imagine. I think it. It seems like it would take a lot to make that work because if you want to talk about that, maybe. Yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah. Like like while you're spending twelve million dollars on arts in New Orleans, yeah. <laughs> another couple hundred thousand to buy a bus and put these guys on the road with we some nice clothes. We talked about having a bus for the Healing Center that would pick people up and deliver them. Yeah. We have that would had be nice. Have music on yeah. the bus. The story. <laughs> Get the whole New Orleans. It experience. seems like it seems like a pretty nice way to travel. So I wouldn't turn it down, but we don't have one yet. What can you, Sally? Can you can you see the future? <laughs> it's very bright. Oh, is it? I see oh, these good. guys playing at our Halloween festival next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's an achievement, I suppose, because you've got a lot of people who want to play the Halloween festival. That's well, right. she she gets two thousand people to our Halloween festival, so it's that's not, a good size not a gig. Small show. Oh, costume, okay. very new. We're down. That is, very that is a pretty big audience. Yeah. Have you yeah. just have you just booked these guys for that? I you're, think, you, I think we're, we're working. You're in. We're they, in. Ha- they have no choice. It's you we're, know I'm doing the mental you control do, you thing can do as them. we speak. Can you actually? I got a doll under the table. <laughs> but you can actually see the future, right? You do. You do readings. Often, yeah. Do you have to actually sit there with a crystal? You have literally. Have I a crystal literally ball. use a crystal ball. You literally ball. have a crystal I ball. Literally do. Yes. Where did you get the crystal ball from? I originally got my crystal ball. I was walking down Magazine Street. I was pretty new in New Orleans, and there was a voodoo shop on Magazine Street called the Divine Light. And there was a crystal ball in the window that was refracting the sunlight and catching the window on fire. And so I went in to tell them that, that they, they needed to get some water or move the ball or whatever, and they sold it to me instead. So I took it home, and that's when I learned how to use a crystal ball. Wow, that's a pretty good story. Did you did you see anything in it immediately as soon as you picked it up? I don't see anything in the crystal ball except reflections, but it, it um, catches my very scattery attention and, and focuses it, and so I can see an image in my mind and follow it. So it's the riddling of glass. It's great, yeah, for for uh, 
uppity children. I, I suggest that parents around the world get crystal balls. So you don't need the crystal ball. You could do the cocktail glass here or something. I could, actually. I could what? use a cup of water or anything that's reflective. So can you, like, take these two guys who are sitting here who are on the brink of, hopefully superstardom and tell them if they're wasting their time or whether it's, it's coming their yeah. way. I don't know if I want to know. Yeah, but can you do don't it tell <laughs> I can tell you that nothing that you do is a waste of time. Oh, that's a nice answer. I'll go with that. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take that. I asked George Soros, who's the world's greatest financier, uh, where interest was going, interest rates, and he said that it, he absolutely knew, but he couldn't share it with me. <laughs> <laughs> so. What kind of a friend is that? Can you... Here's Rachel. Rachel, hi. Can you just like another drink of anything? I'd like some more water, please, Rachel. All right. right. Straight water. That's good. Anybody else? Thank you. Sally, anything? No, I've had enough tea. I'm fine. You good? So, do you talk to George Soros, the world's most influential financier? No, I don't. I'm I'm not in that circle, but I did go to a meeting where he was a speaker, and that's what he said. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, that's... And matter of fact, I I am involved on uh, this today and tomorrow in a uh, uh, high-level event with uh, the Committee of, Economic, Committee of Economic Development, which is uh, literally a who's who of chief executive officers, and they opine to Congress on what they ought to do about this or what they ought to do about that. And, and, and you're, you're actually in the committee. I'm, I'm on the committee. So that's and, a federal... And, and it's a national business organization, and, right. and they are here to... Uh, say that uh, we in the United States are going to hit the wall in the next year where China is no longer going to buy our paper and we'll have to shut down government and uh, unless we do something about the deficit. So that's uh, trying to encourage business people to get a hold of their congressional delegation to say, stand up, cut $5 trillion out of our expenditures so that the rest of the world will still have faith in our country. So the Committee for Economic Development who's saying this is a serious, responsible organization of business people who advise government. They, they opine on issues. They got, I got involved on in there because I was a big advocate. I was on our public school board for a while and, and uh, got fascinated with early childhood education as a way to intervene and in, in the inner city is to catch kids at a very young age and uh, they were a big national advocate of that and the head of Procter & Gamble had devoted his life and found out I was sort of doing it in Louisiana and asked me to join. That's how I got it. I wasn't running a great big company but I was working on an issue that they were concerned about. So it's like a do good business. You know, business has got people that criticize it after the Wall Street debacle and all of that sort of stuff, but they're good business people out there. They're very concerned. Now, are these about the people, country. as a business person, this is an organization that you trust their opinion. So this is a seri- well, this is a, the most serious sentence I think probably anyone's heard in in a long time. That in twelve months from now, the United well, States nobody can tell the future, but but the well, uh, Sally just uh, said uh, she, uh, hang on. She's not, a, and I, I come to the same conclusions even uh, well, from a different direction. Sally believes the apocalypse, and many other people do, it will be here in 2012. And the only issue, it'll be rather banal, though. It'll actually be televised. Well, yeah, on, uh, on, just to uh, speak for on, myself, on, on, I would uh, say the apocalypse is already here, and okay. we just don't recognize it. And it's. Um, well, I hate to sound can, stupid, but what is the apocalypse really going to be? Well. It's banality. It's utter banality. And, and, um, well, we reached that a long we, time ago. We've reached a state where we can create facsimiles of ourselves, but we can't tell the difference between the facsimile and the real, except that the facsimile is a little more perfect. And um, look at 
reality TV. <laughs> but you can go to the ground and, and look at the environment and conjure up some images of real, real, real issues if we don't pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. So, but we are paying uh, attention. We're all paying attention to them all the time. I'm not. I'm not sure that we're. Uh, uh, you, the, we don't. None of us react. It's not way of criticism until you kind of get that. <laughs> hitting the nose and then you've got to do something about it and and things like the deficit or global warming is or or or, uh, or skin cancer is insidious it takes many years actually to manifest itself you need to do some things before the crap hits the fan and I think that's what they're saying about the deficit that but we've got 12 but this is the com- the committee for economic development says we have 12 months I, I use that as a, the, the, that's my words. Okay, they, suppose they're saying that we already are in trouble. We already are in trouble, and that uh, we need to, at a national level, uh, uh, react to it. You, you see right now that Ireland, Portugal, Greece, Spain have hit the wall, and the German chancellor, who, who, who uh, has got the money in Germany, basically said that she'll loan them the money so that they don't go bankrupt if they do something certain things about reducing their expenditures and so it's 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 uh, it's manifesting itself okay but let me ask you straight out then do you believe it that the united states is going to crumble and there's going to be an apocalypse no uh uh eventually uh, I mean, we will all die heat death when the when the when the sun expands, and, and okay, no, but no, nobody argues that. But okay. what I do believe, what I do do believe, and and fortunately, I have some finances from the work that I've done and good gifts from my from my family, and I invest those finances. And uh, two years ago, I watched my investments get cut in half, and. Like everybody else, I sort of said, well, it'll get better. Or maybe I ought to not withdraw it. You probably heard mm. some of your friends or yeah, some, you know, somebody that's in that situation. I am watching, given this news, very carefully the market so that if one day we wake up and China says to us, I don't believe that you're a healthy financial country. I don't think I'll buy your debt anymore, which means that the money that you need for government to run won't be there. That'll mean the government will have to say, okay, please buy it. I'll raise the interest rate, so I'll pay you more for that investment. That stops all much economic growth, and it means that the stock market will plunge. Instantly. And so my, so if you're asking me whether I'm taking it seriously on a personal level, yeah. I'm watching it carefully. Okay. But you'd need to know that information the day before everybody else did, otherwise... Everyone's investment is worth nothing overnight, basically. Well, right? it doesn't happen overnight. There was a wonderful line in the Sun Ultra Rises: "Is how did you go bankrupt? Slowly, then suddenly." <laughs> so what you're saying then is that the signs are all around us, and we just have to wait for the critical moment for the whole thing to collapse and get out before. Well, you that. know that you're, yourself. We're spending it. too much money. I mean, the man on the street knows that. Mm. Well, we all know that, but what can we do about it? What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to cut military expenditures. You're going to have to redo health care so that you can't spend as much money. You're going to have to increase the age of Social Security. You're going to have to do all of those things, but nobody is stepping out in fear that they'll get creamed Mm. for bringing that up. Because everybody's talking about their own self-protection, which is keeping their job as a politician. And so, that, or a business person or a pundit or whatever But I think it is. that's a mistake because most people that recognize a real problem that the rest of us recognize that take a leadership position get 
get appreciated in the long run. So I'm hoping that that I think America and problems get solved. So you got to go solve this one. But you're seeing it have a happy resolution then, despite this committee for I'm economic saying that everybody is going to have to share in this problem pretty quickly, whether it's rich people or poor people or 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 or, or more taxes or less services. And that's true at the state level. We're not uh, anyway. I don't mean to get carried away with it. No, well, it's pretty. We're just doing that serious. this week. Okay, that's that's this week's assignment. But so, okay, but Sally, now you see the whole thing coming to a horrible end. Well, no, I didn't say I saw it coming to a horrible end. I, I saw that there's a massive transformation happening and a different perspective coming through. And but I think that really will be rough for those people okay. that hang on to the status quo. And there was a, a Native American. Uh, statement put out recently that this is like being caught in a torrential river and those people that can manage flowing with the with the current in the middle of the river will be okay and those people who cling try to cling to the shore are going to get beat up but the flood is coming and you have to go the with flood it is coming and you and have to go with it you have to be able to make the change make the transformation and and start seeing the world differently i was in haiti years ago and uh, there was a really wonderful priest and artist named Andre Pierre who said to me that he was going to go get me a portrait of the devil and he went off into his little hut and came back and opened up a dollar bill for us all to see and and, um, he said that this was the devil and that America worshipped their economy that was our religion and we worshipped the almighty dollar and to me and to practitioners of Vodou, I would say that the whole money system, the whole economy seems a little illusory and that there's a different reality that we all need to answer to. And Is it going to save us, though? Well, we need to pay attention to things like the lack of fresh water. I mean, we can, we can argue who gets the money, but none of us get the water if there's no more water. And, and so there's real solid issues in a world that, that seems very illusory otherwise. So using your metaphor, there's a flood coming is not a big stretch for Louisiana. <laughs> the, uh, we're, the soils are subsiding. No science is, is disputing that. And if global warming is, has any truth to it, which I happen to believe it, waters will rise and so we are, are vulnerable. And that's just a whole another section. So you've got lots of issues, but just for your viewers, I'm not a total pessimist. <laughs> We, we take our problems and we try to solve them. Well, you're That's building a healing center, yeah. so and you must have think there's some future. And speaking about voodoo, it was a religion of slaves. Now, that's a calamitous, apocalyptic experience to be torn from your country and your community and your families and your lives and thrown into slavery. And, and voodoo is about finding ways to endure what is an un- unendurable. And so it's about being realistic about those things that are actually real and participating and figuring out at what level and to what extent you can participate in your own experience. I think we need another song. I agree. Press, good <laughs> advice. You really need to just forget about everything and dance or sing. What do you guys want? Well, let's finish off with another song off, uh, off Actor Caster from the Generationals. What song would you like to play next? We've written a lot of songs about the crumbling economy, as you may have guessed. <laughs> you have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> This one actually is on a Haiti compilation. It is, all right. Yeah. There's a uh, compilation for uh, Haiti, and uh, this is, this song is on it. So you can actually buy this song, even though the record hasn't come out. You can buy this song. Okay. On that what is this song? It's called. It is yours forever, correct? 
Yeah, so we're going to rock this one. And what's it got to do with Haiti? Uh, no, nothing. We wrote it before that, but uh, oh, it, it's the, on that conversation. It's, it's on a fundraiser for Haiti. Okay. And it's also coming on your new album, which is out. Correct. When? Uh, March 29th. Uh, you can buy it online. Coming out any day. That's right. Yeah, Next pretty Tuesday. soon. Yeah. Okay, let's check it out. What's the song called? Yours Forever. You're in my heart. You're in Yours forever. The generationals off the new album Actor Caster, which is actually out now. By the time anybody hears this, which will be a couple of days, right. or probably only a day, but uh, that's available on iTunes and other places, I assume. That's true. That's correct. And is it on your own record label? No, it's not. There's a there's a label here that's actually based here in New Orleans called Park the Man Records. 
that's putting this record out. So, well, congratulations! This is your second album. It is, and uh, and what's your third record altogether? You had an EP in between that. That's correct. And uh, you have a bunch of songs all over the place in movies and on television shows and in commercials for Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. <laughs> that's true. I love that, that you're in a commercial for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. So congratulations on all that, and good luck with this new album, and we, we hope to hear a lot more from you in the future, and thanks for coming down and being a part of its New Orleans Happy Hour here at the Collins Hotel today. The Generationals, Great. Ted and Grant, and Sally Ann Glassman, Voodoo Priestess. Thank you. And Seer, <laughs> of hopefully what will not be a total apocalypse Just next year. Just a transformation. Just a transformation. Go with the flow. Go with it is your advice. Yes. And have some good music while you're doing that. Very good advice. Inspiration. And, and Press Kavakoff, chairman and CEO of HRI Properties, one of New Orleans' most influential property developers and shapers of our physical community. You have a wonderful voice. Well, thank you. That's all I can do, really, sit around talking. You have a very similar voice, actually. Ooh, maybe I, know I, could, that. Well, may- I feel good because you have a good voice. Maybe, uh, maybe you and I could work together. Glad to uh, if you've got help in any way I can. If I could help you out with this, you know, $1.4 billion, and you could help me out doing this show, that would be fantastic. I'm Grant Morris. This is Press Kavakoff, Sally Ann Glassman, Ted Joyner, Grant Widmer, and with me, Mitch Cry, doing all the technical production down here. Trisha Kaufman produced our show along with Melinda Hawes and Tanya Castellanos. Cliff Brigden does all our web control and keeps us up on the World Wide Web. Mitch Foreman plays the piano and wrote our theme tune that siren is hopefully not the beginning of the end but just someone going to hospital to be cured and we can look for you guys uh, health clinic to be open first. the healing center on May 1st in, in New Orleans anything that's musical on here is organized by um, Christian Unruh and if you'd like to be on the show or you'd like to recommend somebody to be on the show drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com Thank you very much for listening to It's, uh, it's New Orleans Happy Hour. We broadcast live down here at the Columbus Hotel, 3811 St. Charles Avenue in uptown New Orleans. The Columbus Hotel is a great place to come and have a drink on the wide balcony behind the columns and watch the streetcar roll by if you're in New Orleans. If you're going to come and stay in New Orleans, come stay at the Columbus Hotel. You can find out more about them from the link on our website. Our website is itsneworleans.com. For Mitch Foreman back in the studio, I'm Grant Morris. Thanks for joining us and check out our other It's Happy Hour shows on its New Orleans and check out our other shows too on our website especially Psych Ward I think you might like that see you next time